Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Me Athlete Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 157 of No Meat Athlete Radio. I'm Matt Frazier, joined by Doug Hay. And Doug Hay, that is a crap load of episodes we've made. 157. I know. Can you believe that? I, it's How many cool. hours of, of audio is that? I don't Quick. know. Quick. Probably somewhere near 157. I know a lot of the episodes are shorter, but we've also had several that are much longer than an hour. So probably right. somewhere near 157. At least 100. So more yeah. than 24-hour four days of just sitting here you know what we should do is have some sort of live stream or like not live stream but stream that just replays all of them so you can just log on at any time and just jump in Spend four days and just knock them all out yeah i think it'd be great it's a good idea doug all right so we uh we've got we're back together same uh same building now we're not traveling travels are behind us uh both were very good and fun and now this is going to be part four of our summer running camp series because summer 2016 is winding down but there's still time for this and probably one more episode of this running camp uh this one is all about injury prevention which i think i think should be a fun one i think so as well and what's more fun than injury prevention (laughs) yeah right and i'm really excited to say that our listeners have come through in major (laughs) fashion (laughs) with uh two listeners submitted songs for summer running camp yes uh, one of which is is in the in the to the tune of uh, the salute your shorts theme song, which I went after you told me that you watched an episode. I think you told me that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I uh, also did the same. They're hard <laughs> to find on YouTube, I guess, because of copyright reasons and all sure. that. Yep. I would think that that's old enough that who, who cares about that copyright anymore? But <laughs> apparently they do because I saw that some had had been taken down because of that. Uh, Viacom probably is the one behind it. I don't know. Yeah. Which but you sad. can't find them. You can. They're very grainy and hard to watch, but, uh, but it kind of holds up. It's still still a good show. Yeah. I watched it. My son sat on my lap. He got into it. <laughs> it was fun. Awesome. Yeah. So anyway, we have a uh, we have a theme song, and I'm going to ask the person who uh, who submitted those that the lyrics because they're they're NMA radio themed lyrics. We'll ask her to record us uh, record her singing it because we're not going to sing. We thought about it. We're not going to sing it. <laughs> we, we tried it. We rehearsed a little bit and decided that it might Just lose us. Better for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we also got a, a song that was written, uh, no lyrics, but just a nice little tune that yeah, we're going to use as, as an outro for the next episode, the next installment of this running camp. Yes. So uh, so this one's about injury prevention. I should mention really quick, we have an unofficial sponsor for this third installment of NMA Radio summer running camp and that is run your bq which is a thing i do with jason fitzgerald of strength running who has been on the podcast a few times um certified coach 239 marathoner really fast guy and total running geek he reads all the you know journals and all that who knows uh he and i are doing a webinar which is going to be on wednesday august 31st in the evening if you go to nomadathlete.com slash run you will be redirected to that webinar page and you can sign up for that totally free thing that we'll be doing for i don't know an hour and a half or so on wednesday august 31st so head over there nomadathlete.com slash run and uh, and that webinar by the way is is about how to run your very fastest marathon ever even if you struggle with injuries and motivation so we're going to talk about injuries today but you can get even more over there even more and hear from world famous coach <laughs> yeah, not, not jason fitzgerald yeah hasn't won as many awards as doug hay no running coach no, but definitely not 
Yes. Okay. So before we jump in, we've got a Doug's Did You Know, I believe. Doo-doo. <laughs> Uh-oh. Doug's Did You Know is here. Yep. I uh, am just back, fresh back last night from Fripp Island, South Carolina. Beautiful. Oh, I thought you were up in like Rhode Island or something. No, Rhode Island was a few weeks ago. Oh, right. Okay. And then I came back. Okay. And then I went down to right. visit my family down in Fripp. So there's um, a, there you go. Did you know that? I did not. Did you, <laughs> did you know? In a nice little low country beach, nice island. Um, and I got lucky enough to witness the hatching of some sea turtles. Oh. And their migration down to the, to the water. <laughs> do you, do you know anything about this? I've heard of it, yes. So uh, sea turtles, big sea turtles come up to, onto, the, onto the, the beach lay some eggs in some sort of nest and then about 21 days later the nest the eggs hatch and they just know immediately to walk down to the to the waves and then they just swim away into the ocean it's really it's fascinating the 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 sea turtles are are tiny they're like the size of your palm maybe um and they just kind of wander around until they reach the water but the did you know was that only one in a thousand sea turtles make it to adulthood. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Wow. Because they either get eaten before they get to the water by birds or some sort of other animal. Um, or once they reach the water, you know, then fish and all kinds of other predators will man will eat them. Or, or they have some sort of, you know, other issue where, you know, a fin doesn't work or something like that. Right. But only one in a thousand makes it to adulthood. It's bad news. I know, which is why, like, uh, like on Fripp, they protect all the nests and they have kind of these mm. things. They have these guardians over volunteers that they guard over the nests and guard over the wow the hatching and everything. So natural selection sort of dropped the ball when it came to the sea turtle. Yeah, didn't didn't really give them did. any tools. Just said, let's make more of them and just. I guess so. I guess I guess so. And now that you know, now that we're ruining their nesting habitats i think it's probably even harder for them to make it alive right. make it out so if only one in a thousand survived it wouldn't be that bad if doug hay had grabbed one to take home oh with him, right? it would have been terrible Matt. it would have been terrible <laughs> you didn't and, do that, right? and i'm sure incredibly illegal <laughs> that did not happen that didn't okay good interesting i did not know that one in a thousand that's not very good odds Mm-mm. well that is sad i feel bad for those turtles but what are you going to do? Life will find a way, I guess, right? That's right. One in a thousand. Now, now to injury prevention. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, Shifting let's... gears. <laughs> okay, let's talk injury prevention. Summer running camp theme song. We don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, so let's, let's talk about it. So injury prevention, for me, um, became, honestly, became less of an issue after I went vegetarian and then vegan. And I don't really like to, like, Put that forth as as you know something that will happen if someone goes vegetarian or vegan. Sure. But if I'm you know totally honest about what happened, that's that's when injuries stopped becoming an issue. However, that's also when I stopped training intensely, like for Boston Marathon qualifying, <laughs> and started running ultras instead, which is still a demanding way of type of training, but very different for me because I wasn't doing any kind of the speed work or hard right. stuff. So who really knows? Uh, but that's a big part of it. So we will talk about that when we talk about you know proper recovery and how to do that. Well, well. Before we get too far into it, do you, I do you think that injuries are a, a an integral part of running? Like, are do, do they go hand in hand? I guess. I mean, I mean, it, it appears that they do, right? Because what seventy percent or something of runners report injuries every year. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, I feel like so many runners don't have a basic understanding of form, which was right. which was summer running camp 
episode number two, I think. Yeah. About form. Mm-hmm. I, I, once I figured that stuff out, I feel like that sort of, I don't know, suddenly made injuries much less a risk. And then the diet, I think, kind of went the extra mile with it. Ooh, extra mile. See that? Oh, I like it. Uh, so, I don't know. People always talk about, like, oh, running so bad for your knees. Once you get old, it's going to cause all these problems. And maybe if you're doing extreme mileage, then that's probably true. But I kind of feel like if you're, if you're just doing a, a normal amount, I mean, I don't know, half hour to an hour several times a week, I feel like it doesn't have to, you don't have to get injured. Right. You know? Is that how you feel? Yeah. I mean, I, I used to think that injuries were just part of running, right? That every runner got injured at some point. But I don't really think that anymore. It's been probably five years since I've had any injury and I've been running steadily, you know, throughout you know, that entire time. And... Yeah. I mean, do you think that's because, I mean, it's probably both, but, but because you have you have learned how to run, like the knowledge has come, you've kind of made it over the hump where you do get injured? Because, I mean, I got injured when I first started plenty. Yeah. Or is it more that your body has, you know, gotten used to it, so now it's not a problem but i think i think both a little bit of both i think uh i've learned how to run a lot smarter and train smarter um and use some of the tools that we'll talk about today and then of course you know my body has adapted when i first jumped into that first marathon training you know i went from zero to 100 um not not 100 miles you know speed right whatever gotcha. zero to 70 or whatever uh anyway uh, um and you know and i was sore all the time and my body just didn't know how to handle it um uh, but had had I been smart about the whole thing, I think I could have gone. I could have never been, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. I think I think in the beginning, it's probably mostly a lack of knowledge, even more than than a lack of your body being used to it and having built up a resistance. I'm sure that's a factor, but I, I just when I think back to what I did in my first year or two years of running, training for that first marathon. I mean, it's just like every everything we're going to talk about today. I I did the opposite of basically. <laughs> right, I, everything right. was too fast. All the miles were too fast. Didn't really eat properly because i was i thought you should you should not eat around your workout so you can burn fat and stay in that fat burning zone which people still try to do uh you know didn't know the first thing about form didn't do any sort of of foam rolling type i'm mean, just just nothing you know no no i mean i was concerned about energy but no no prevention basically so right uh, i do think if you, if you just understanding what it takes is probably a huge part of it and i would imagine if most people had that basic understanding then then yeah we would we would see way fewer injuries i don't think it's it has to go hand to hand with it right but you know there are times when when most runners will get injured and um, and rehabbing and taking care of yourself is is an important part of being a good runner. Sure. Yeah. So anyway. All right. So um, you know I think we we divided this into into maybe six different topics. There's not a whole lot of structure into like you know here's step one, step two, step three. It's just it's just these kind of different things you can do. I don't think you have to do all of them, but I think the more of them you can you can do the better generally. So, uh, first thing we've got is is the first thing you do when it's time to go for a run. You you warm up, right? Warm ups. Yeah. Um, which which doesn't necessarily mean stretching, right? A lot of people assume warming up means gym class style hamstring stretch, where you just go against the side of a building and stretch that hamstring out, um, which isn't really the thing to do. And it is thought that 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 may actually cause injury by weakening your muscle before you start running. Yeah. So, what is the Doug Hay approach to warming up? Well, the Doug Hay approach is <laughs> is dynamic stretches. So, uh, stretches where you're actually engaging your muscles and using your muscles, so like leg swings and things like that, where you're um, you are stretching, you are opening up your your muscles, but you're doing it in a way that you're engaging them. You know, does that make sense? <laughs> mm-hmm. well, I don't know. I'm stumbling over the words a little bit, but uh, so dynamically engaging those muscles. So, uh, a 
a dynamic strength or stretch warm up, uh, which you know only has to be three to five minutes. You know, lunges. There's the they there's the lunge matrix, which you basically lunge forward and then to the sides and to the back. Uh, and a lot of coaches will tell you that that's all you need. Uh, it's just a set of the lunge matrix, which only takes a few minutes max. Okay. And, and I mean, the, the the other function of, of a dynamic stretch versus a static one is that it you're moving your body. So you're raising your core temperature, you're getting your heart rate going, right. which is going to make a more gradual transition into the actual running, especially if you're doing any kind of difficult workout where from the beginning you're running pretty fast, which I don't think most people would recommend doing. Like if you're going to be doing an interval training, interval workout or hill repeats or anything, I mean, typically you're going to want to start with, I would say minimum five minutes. It could be as much as a mile or two of really easy running. Yeah. So that it's not just this sudden shift uh, from, from doing nothing to, you know, 140 beats per minute heart rate or something. Sure. And that's the second part of the, of the warm-up is, is actually warming up on the run. So instead of jumping right in, you're taking that time to, to move slowly, get the body loose and get the body, you know, the heart rate up and, and open your stride up a little bit more. Because if you jump right into it, full stride, you know, you'd be asking for, for injury. So always take 5, 10, you know, even 15 minutes, especially before a tough workout. Uh, to to jog at a at a low pace an easy pace um, and uh, and get those things warmed up and, and ready to go yeah and people this is not really related to injury prevention that much but people these days are so interested in the idea of burning fat instead of burning sugar and a lot of people try to get there with their diet they try to change their diet you know do a ketogenic type diet or, or whatever it might be um, I kind of found that you didn't you don't have to do that like you probably noticed the same thing, Doug, that as you as you gain experience as a runner, your body sort of naturally shifts towards burning more fat, at least as evidenced by how much sugar you need to get through your runs of a given distance. Uh, but one of the things that I learned from Stu Middleman, who was like the original advocate of this of this burn fat idea instead of instead of sugar, was that that sudden shift from zero activity to lots of activity basically stimulates kind of the flight or fight response in your body that part of which is burning sugar because it's like an emergency situation. Suddenly you're, you're, you're not moving, then suddenly you are moving. It's as if you're being chased or something and your body's going to you know use the sugar because it's assuming you need a short burst of energy now to, to get out of this situation. Right. So the gradual transition, and I think almost everyone probably doesn't do it gradually enough. Um, whereas, you know, you might, the way to start a workout probably is to walk briskly for a few minutes, right? And mm-hmm. then start a slow jog. And then over the course of that first mile or two, you build up to the speed you're going to be actually running. Uh, this, this could be done even on a slow run. So yeah. Do you, uh, do you actually do these warm ups, Doug for every, for every run? I don't mean just the, I mean, cause typically what I do with ever since I've kind of shifted into ultra running more than trying to run a fast marathon, for me, it's been the the first few miles. I've just treated as the warm up. Like they've they've kind of been the warm up miles, um, and honestly, I haven't really done any sort of dynamic stretches in a long time. Mm-hmm. Do you do those before every run, or before only your hard workouts, or not at all? Way to put me on the spot, man. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I I do dynamic stretches before all uh, hard workouts, okay, and most long runs. Um, I definitely warm up at an easy pace before every run, or start every run at an easy pace, and um, and do do some sort of some sort of stretch. Normally, just leg swings work for me, uh, or a few lunges. But if if it's a tough workout, then I will do the full routine. Yeah, and I and I honestly think that is enough for an easy workout. I mean, I think 
it would probably be better to always do dynamic stretching routine before your mm-hmm. easy run. So, because then you're getting that that little bit of a strength benefit as well. I mean, you're you're sure. in the routine of of building some strength uh, and possibly improving form as well, depending on what kind of exercises you're choosing for those warm ups. But from a practical point of view, practical point of view, I feel like I don't know. Getting through a 45 minute easy run is really boring, and it just takes a lot of time. Yeah, <laughs> it's just you know I don't want to add 10 minutes to that. By sure. to do warm-ups first. Well, but I will say that if, if you have, if you've been injury prone in the past, or if you're coming off of an injury, then it it makes a lot more sense to take that five minutes and, and do those warm-ups. Definitely. I would completely agree with that. And and an aside, this isn't really injury prevention, but the warm-ups on cold weather days are really great if you do them indoors to to get that heart rate up and to get warm your body warmed up a little bit before you head outside. So then the shock is a little less right, intense. and so that you could you could wear fewer clothes when you start so that you don't get really sweaty a mile in exactly good okay so that's that's warming up um you know take take that for what what it's worth do it if you would like to but uh we're not gonna make you warm up no i say i say you should do it that's (laughs) gonna make you all right i'm not (laughs) i'm gonna make you okay so um shifting gears we we've talked about warming up and we mentioned the idea of a strength benefit to certain types of warm-ups and when i used to do a dynamic stretching routine i feel like that was a, a really nice strength benefit that I was getting from this series of things I was doing. But strength training as as its own thing is is another aspect of injury prevention. And it's something I think that most runners really neglect, right? Because almost everyone who runs does so because they, they like running. And that's that's what they want to do. So I think this is probably the weak spot in many, many runners' routines that they just don't do strength training enough. It's always more fun, always easier to just go for a run. Uh, but we believe that strength training is important, correct? Uh, absolutely, yeah. Okay, and I know we've we've Jason Fitzgerald is kind of my go-to guy when it comes to strength training. He's just such a big advocate of it. Uh, talks about being an athlete, not just being a runner. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I mean, people talk about how how a lot of the elites don't necessarily do that much strength training, but the elites are the elites for for several reasons. One of which is that their body's kind of meant for that, and they're they're able to to just run those miles. But I feel like a, a person who's not built that way. Uh, the strength training can can serve the purpose of letting you do some exercise, letting you do some stuff that isn't running. Because the running, if you try to run 100 miles a week and you're not built that way, chances are you're going to be asking for injury. So strength training is one thing you can do instead of running, and it's something that when you get over the initial hump of maybe a slight in- increase of injury risk when you're you know adopting a strength training routine, particularly if it's a harder one with squats and deadlifts and stuff like that. But once you get over that hump then you're i believe less likely to get injured mm-hmm. yeah and you know i think that when it comes to strength training it's important to note that you don't have to hit the gym you don't have to do weights you know you can do just exercises at home uh core strengthening exercises hip strengthening it band and and you know your quads you can do all that kind of stuff at home and just taking 10 minutes to do that on a regular basis will you know reduce the risk of injury it will help help strengthen your your body overall and and um, make you that better of an athlete one one thing that jason talks about is uh, sandwiching your runs and i like this idea of of instead of just picturing your run as only the run sandwiching picture your your workout as this kind of run sandwich where you have your dynamic warm-ups at the beginning you have your run in the middle and then your strength training for 10 or 15 minutes afterwards. Mm-hmm. So you're sandwiching the run between warm-up and uh, and the strength training. Good. I like that. Uh, and one of the points that Jason has made that, that seems to be a very, very common question is 
when should you work out? I mean, regardless of what type of workout you're going to do, uh, if the goal is first and foremost to be a runner and second to do strength training to support the running, then the advice that Jason has taught me is that that, that workout should, the, the lifting, the strength training should always, and it doesn't have to be lifting, I should I should point out like you said, it doesn't have to be the gym, uh, but that should come after your your run, after your hard workout of the day with the run, because you want that to be where, where your focus is. You want to have everything, bring everything to that run so you can get that quality run in, then do the workout. Uh, and this also isn't, I mean, you're not necessarily doing this hard workout. A lot of people like to do their hard runs, say on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then do their lifting on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, their hard, their hard workout. Um, but I don't think it's a good idea and, and neither do most people who I talk to because you, you kind of need to have an actual rest day where you're not working right. hard just because you're not running hard doesn't mean that, that, you know, you can, you can lift really hard that day and, and that'll still count as a rest day because your heart rate's getting up, your muscles are getting used and it's just, it's just not a good idea. Yeah. And, and if we're talking about just adding 10 minutes after the run of, of, of some core strengthening exercises and things like that, then, um, my advice is, is is just to kind of show how important this is. I, I think that it's almost more important to, or it is more important to get in some of that than to get in all your miles. So if there are some days when, um, when you know you're not going to be able to do the run and the strength training, to actually cut your your run a mile short and use that eight minutes, ten minutes to do some core exercises and stuff. Hmm. Interesting. That is somewhat counterintuitive to me because I, I feel like people always say, well, like, running is always the best thing you can do, and at the only at the point when you can't do any more running should you start to do cross training and things like that. Uh, but I guess I guess strength training is somewhat of a different animal than you know aerobic cross training where you're just doing something else to to replace running because you don't want to run more miles. Right. Uh, so strength training very essential component. Uh, as far as specifics go, I know I mean there's all kinds of different strength training programs you can do. Typically, we don't. If, you're, if the goal is to run a marathon, if the goal is to be a runner, typically we don't recommend CrossFit. You know that high of an intensity exercise. It's just very hard to get that done uh, alongside intense running training. It's, to me, it seems like kind of you have two goals that are kind of kind of counterproductive to pursue both at the same time. Um, but there are many many forms of, of exercise that are easier. I and mean, we mentioned squats and deadlifts. You don't have to do that stuff. But I know plenty of runners, even ultra runners, who do those, and, and they really feel like it helps them build strength for, for hills and everything else. Uh, but as far as, as far as you know, body weight exercises, things that use more bands, more, I don't know, things you can do at home without necessarily going to the gym, uh, what do you have there? What, what, what do you recommend? I mean, I think lunges are great. Um, I mean, really any sort of core stuff, so planks and uh, sit-ups and, and dips and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have anything on your site? Like a, like yeah, a I do. I absolutely have a, a 10 or a seven minute routine that uh, is on Rocket Runner. We'll link to that on the show notes. But if you just Googled strength routine Rocket Runner, then you can find it there. Jason has a few uh, routines on his site mm-hmm. for, I think, both the IT band and hips and uh, and then just a general core one as well. Yep. I always used uh, the Core Performance series of books. There's one called Core Performance Endurance that I always really liked a lot. They, I don't even know if they're still in print anymore. I think that company has kind of changed their name. It was it used to be a guy named Mark Verstegen who ran something called Athletes Performance Institute. Uh, anyway, a very good series of, pro- of stuff. It would go on top of a running. You, you'd take a running program already. They wouldn't provide that for you. And this was a, a program, a strength training program that was designed to go on top and be adapted you know, to your running program. So I was like that when I was when I was training to qualify for Boston. That's that's what I used, and that's when I was really the most athletic I've ever been as a runner. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think that strength training is important, and and it could be in the form of you know cross training, like going to the gym and lifting weights, or or it could be in the form of just uh, some some body body weight exercises at home. Um, Good. And and just to, just to clarify that about taking you know rib, skipping a mile to do some strength training, I'm not talking about skipping a mile every single run to add strength training. You know, <laughs> like like just cutting all your runs short. Um, but, but I do think that it is so important to, to add that, that core strength train, um, strength training, at least, at least a few times a week that if the only time you can do it is, is by skipping a mile, then, then it's worth it. Okay. I like that. I was going to go ahead and like for 18 mile runs, if you start getting tired around 14, just kind of cut it short and be like, ah, I'm just going to do this some strength training, a little <laughs> bit extra when I get home and then don't do it and just forget. And then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then that's, what, that's what you don't want to do. And, and that's what I was afraid that, you know, someone might start thinking if they're like, well, you know, I'll do I'll a just, couple pushups and that'll later. be yeah. it, you know? <laughs> okay. Uh, moving on. Proper recovery is our next topic. And that's, I mean, that's kind of, I guess that's not really what we're talking about yet. I mean, strength training, all that kind of stuff is going to aid in recovery by making you probably by making the workout damage you somewhat less. But we're talking now about what can you actually do during the hours between your runs? Uh, that's going to help you be better prepared for the next one, help you recover from the tough workout you did. So that next time it comes time to get out there and work hard, uh, you, you bring everything to the table and you're ready to go. Uh, we've got a couple of different facets here, right? Diet we mentioned is, is a big one. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, who who knows if a plant based diet is is the best way to recover from a workout? Mm-hmm. If you talk to pro athletes, elite athletes who choose this diet, most of them will tell you that is is their number one reason. As far as performance goes, the number one reason people say is that they can recover faster on workouts like this, or, or sorry, when they eat a diet like this. And typically, we think of that as being endurance athletes: Scott Jurek, Rich Roll, Brendan Brazier. You know, they've long been advocates of a plant based diet for recovery from workouts. But you see it more and more in these strength and speed sports that aren't about endurance, uh, which I think just speaks to to the power of it. And a final thing that I want to say, a final little argument about this, is that when you go to a plant-based diet conference or you read a book by a vegan doctor about plant-based diet, they're always talking about the ability of a plant-based diet to prevent but also reverse disease, to let your body actually repair itself when you start feeding it the food you're supposed to feed it. You could probably make the same argument about a diet that wasn't fully plant-based but was based ent- entirely on whole foods. Um, as, you, as you just eat in this more natural way, your body's able to actually repair damage that has been done, kind of reverse the, the onset of disease. And I think when we talk about recovering from workouts, we're just talking on a shorter timeline. It's, it's the exact same thing. Your body is still needing to recover from damage that has been caused to it. Uh, so I think I think... You know, to me, it, it's pretty clear. Even if I don't know if the science is there yet, uh, although I've, I've talked to someone recently who said that it kind of is there if you can make inferences and you know do it in an intelligent way. Uh, who actually may be writing a book about this? Fun Ooh. fact. Oh. Uh, more to come on that. Not me, but somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want me writing that book, I promise you. <laughs> um, but anyway, so you know, I'm a big advocate of diet. I think if if you struggle with injuries and you're not eating this way, then it's absolutely worth a shot to see what happens. Uh, but you can't just do it. It's not just go vegan and eat a bunch of vegan junk food. That's not going to really be any better than probably not any better than being a non-vegan and eating a bunch of junk food. Um, so you, know, you got to go, go whole food. It's all about fresh fruits and vegetables. For me, I think that's what made the, the enormous difference, uh, in terms of having injuries just kind of stop being a factor. I like it. So what about, you know, everybody wants to know what to eat right after workout with recovery in mind. What, okay. do, what do you say? 
I mean, I think I think the typical advice that you hear is is the advice that that I would suggest as well. And you just do it from a plant based perspective, which isn't going to be that different. Um, immediately after the workout is the time to replace the carbohydrate. There's, you know, this is, is, I guess, somewhat controversial. There have been some, some studies that say, do, does this recovery window, this half an hour recovery window after workouts, is it really that important? Or as long as you're getting these foods within the 24 hours after your workout, is that enough? Uh, I don't know if, if there's enough evidence to say for sure that that, that was a myth and it no longer matters. So that's, that's kind of still what I do. Uh, and that's just immediately after drink something like fruit juice, eat even something like white rice, um, the, the simple carbohydrate that's going to get quickly into your bloodstream to help you recover. The foods that you might not necessarily eat the rest of your diet because because they're they do they digest too quickly, they assimilate too quickly. Uh, you know the sugars and simple carbohydrates, they're things that you wouldn't want to be eating day to day basis. But immediately after the workout, sometimes during the workout. Uh, these foods can can be your your ally. So that's what I do immediately after, and then within an hour or two after a long or hard workout, try to eat a, a bigger, really just a normal meal. But I kind of need to make sure I eat a big one, uh, big beans and rice dish, some kind of vegan pizza, uh, you know, anything like that. I, I really, it's not something that I have thought about all that much recently. It's just kind of, I used to be really focused on on you know hitting the exact numbers, the exact right carbohydrate to protein ratio, which I guess after a workout is is what five to one. Five to one, yeah. Five to, After one. One. Five to one carbohydrates to protein, right? Um, but you know, I feel like now I, you kind of eyeball it. Like if I if I eat beans and rice, it's going to end up somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. If I eat vegan pizza, that's going to also tend to end up in that range, depending what kind you get. I mean, you can you can, you can do bad bad vegan pizza, but a nice homemade one, you can you can do it all right. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that that's that's important. And and just to simplify it even further, uh. Just make sure you eat something within that half-hour window. You drink some water, rehydrate, because hydration is, is very important as well. Um, and then eat a bigger meal within the, the two-hour window. Yeah, But don't, I mean, just overall, don't leave out the fresh fruits and vegetables. Don't leave out the big, giant salad. If mm-hmm. you do smoothies, don't leave out the smoothie. But if you don't like that, don't leave out the fruit, the whole fruits. Uh, I mean, you have to eat those foods. Those are the foods where, where this repair comes from. And for me, for the longest time, when I was trying to get faster, that's that's what I was ignoring. I read Chris Carmichael's book, and I knew exactly how many grams of protein and carbohydrate and fat to get. And I would hit those numbers, but but the broccoli or the salad, that was an afterthought and made it onto the plate you know, only a few times a week if I had extra time. So the big shift for me when I went vegetarian and then vegan was that suddenly the meals were based around these things. So if you're a whole food vegan, I mean, it's, it's almost impossible not to be eating those fresh, fresh fruits and vegetables. But... Just, just so that no one gets confused here, you know, when we mention simple sugars like or, or or simple carbohydrate like white rice, and then talk about beans and rice afterwards, I mean, you could you could do that without eating any vegetables. So we're not advocating that at all. Those right. are really really important, uh, perhaps more important than than those macronutrients. Sure. So what what uh, you know aside from diet, you know what other recovery stuff? I mean, there's there's sleep. Sleep is a really important one. I think it is probably one of the the ones that people think about the least or mm-hmm. you know most overlooked especially like if you're just a go-getter type type a athlete who's just going at it all the time you're probably also very career driven you're probably trying to fit a million things into your day and it's easy to make sleep the thing that you that you just don't care about um so how do you how do you get more or better sleep i mean that's we talk about that now and then they're of course just allotting the time for it going to bed earlier making sure you don't have a lot of lights in your room making sure that you're hour before sleep is kind of a low key hour. You don't want the TV in there. You don't want to be doing screen time as you lead up to bedtime. Uh, what else? Tart cherry juice can help you. can also help you with recovery from, from sports. When I mentioned fruit juice, often that's the one that I will use. 
um, but also has a sleep benefit. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Uh, what else? I mean, getting the right bed, right pillows, all that kind of stuff is is really important. But I think the number one factor there is is just making it a priority. Of course, if you're Doug Hay, then you can just sleep through the night every night. You just you just go to bed and and your your last conscious thought is lying in bed, and then you wake up in the morning and and that's it. The night just passes by without ever without you even being aware of it. Yeah, pretty much. That, that's that's the way it goes. Yeah, that, that happens once a month for me. <laughs> on 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 vac- or at the beach this past week, probably because I was having some beers in the evenings and had more fluids in me. I had to wake up to pee and. Um, and I, I specifically remember thinking, or maybe the second night that that happened, man, it must be terrible to have to wake up <laughs> every night and, and to, to go to the bathroom and then, and then, you know, and then have to go back to sleep. Right. I mean, that doesn't, I don't always have to go to the bathroom, but I don't know. I'm just a tosser and turner. I can't. Oh, wait. you wake up and you're consciously awake and not having to go to the bathroom? Like yeah, not always. Oh, no. Man. I mean, sometimes that's always sort of a driving factor, but I don't always, sometimes I just don't feel like it. You know, I just want to roll over and go back to sleep, but... Yeah, I, I don't. I can't stay in the same position for that long. And it seems to me that if I'm going to shift positions, I'm going to wake up. Hmm. I don't know. This is my plight, I guess, Doug. Yeah. So no. are you, you're just really dragging today because you woke up three times on vacation. <laughs> no, I am. <laughs> I got a great night's sleep last night and okay. a good solid seven hours. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, I envy you for that, Doug. I wish I could. Wish I could do that. Try as I might, I don't seem to ever be able to do that. <laughs> Work so, in progress. Anyway, so recovery, we have eating, we have sleeping. You know, of course, there's um, you know compression and elevation and things like that that I think are, are much less of a, an issue after most runs. After mm-hmm. you, know, you don't really need to be thinking about that. But after certain long runs or certain hard workouts, compression can help a little bit, especially if you're having some sort of sore area or some sort of um, inflamed area in your body. Uh, and then elevation is always good after a long run to put your feet up and kick back and rest a little bit. Mm-hmm. I like I like compression socks. I mean, I think they always they always feel good when I'm running if I wear them. Aside from the itchiness that they tend to cause, but uh, they also <laughs> they, and they also feel great after workout. I don't know for a fact that they that they make me recover any faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing that I, as far as like running stuff and gear goes, the only thing that really has a noticeable effect the next time I go out to run on how I feel is uh, is shoes. If I if I run a long run in normal shoes typically i will just be feeling some knee stuff the next day not not like injury knee stuff but just a a general soreness around the knee area i think it's muscular uh, but that does not happen if i do the long run in like a maximal shoe like like the hokas or ultras whatever their paradigm their their maximal shoe Uh, if you wear the extra padding for me that that makes the soreness non-existent the next day which doesn't mean it's the right thing to do all the time because i think certainly you want to be training your if, if you're not feeling that soreness, then there's probably some amount of training of your body strengthening that's also not happening on a day-to-day basis. So, who, you know, I'm not going to say that you should or shouldn't wear those shoes for every long run. Uh, just pointing out that when I do, I don't typically feel that. But but compression socks, I really do think it just feels like they are helping. I don't know for sure that they do. I like them, especially after a long run. I don't ever wear them during the run. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people have, say they, they feel those benefits, whether it's placebo effect or not you know i think that if you feel it if it works for you then go for it um but it certainly helps with swelling i just have so many issues with swelling in my feet and stuff that 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 helps okay so that's an aspect of recovery i think we could lump that in with recovery and then another thing is uh really what our next topic is foam rolling stretching the stuff that you can do that isn't strength training uh isn't eating isn't working out but there's this added component that you can do that i think you know pretty much beyond a a doubt is going to help you feel better 
not just the next day, but kind of as, as part of your routine is going to make you more injury proof. You're a big foam rolling guy. I, yeah, I really like the foam roller. I've, it, to me, it is, it feels like a massage does. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what, I mean, it is, it's a, yeah, it's a self-massage. Massage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it hurts at first, the first few times you do it, maybe the first few weeks that you do it, it is really painful and eventually it, it doesn't hurt anymore, which to me is a sign that, that something about your body is changing. Your muscles are softened. I don't know if softening is truly what's happening, but you're breaking just... up the fascia. Yes. Right. And is that true? Or is that more of a, of a metaphor that we like to grab onto? No, I think it's you true. Think it really is true. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So, I mean, people talk about muscles being brittle, brittle versus being soft. And I, I think maybe that is kind of an analogy for maybe what's really happening, which is breaking up the fascia. I don't know, but, uh, I do think it's a really useful thing. And I mean, I just have a regular foam roller. I've used the Enso roller, E-N, I think it's E-N, is it E-N-Z-O or E-N-S-O? I don't know. But it has a different kind of, almost looks like a barbell that you put plates on, uh, but they're soft foam plates that that lets you kind of change the contours of that foam roller. Uh, they're those ones that have those little nubs on them. I think that's what you use, Doug, right? Yep. Some people use just a hard plastic piece, like a, almost like a PVC pipe, but, but thicker. Um, and there's the, the, the foam ones that are just... Straight up foam. Yeah, that's what I have used for the longest time. Um, but uh, you're—I mean, so we're, we should probably shouldn't go too far into different foam rolling exercises. You have a whole great post on on Nomi Athlete for yeah. that. Yeah, I put up back in 2009, probably when I started blogging. Actually, uh, I put up the routine that I did all the time, which came from that core performance book that I mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I think I changed it enough or adapted it enough not to get in trouble there. <laughs> um yeah and and like so you can either, you can go through a routine like that which is pretty much what I did it would take maybe 15 to 20 minutes to really do it all the way but sometimes that feels like a lot it just feels like a lot to think about at the end of the day and and if if that's how how you feel and you just don't feel like doing that you can just while you're watching TV or hanging out you can just have a foam roller and just be doing random exercises on it and if you make yeah. that a habit and you just move it around and just do different things i think you, you can't help but make yourself less prone to injury just by just by making that part of your routine. Yeah. So that that foam rolling post, if you Google no meat athlete foam rolling, you will find it. it's me in my old house on the carpet doing a bunch of uh, different poses. <laughs> and I think it's called foam rolling for a-holes. Didn't put ass I think in stands there. for assholes. Yeah. Yes, but I, back in those days, I didn't want to put a curse word. Uh, so, so innocent <laughs> back then. I, I was. No, but, but I do have two tips for foam rolling. Um, the first is to go slow. I think it's tempting to just like, you know, rub it up and down or roll back and forth, you know, like real fast. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think it hurts a little bit less or maybe it's like ripping off the bandaid or something. I don't, I don't know why, but I see a lot of people do that, especially with like the stick instead of a, a, a real foam roller. Uh, and that's, that's not going to give you nearly as good of benefits as if you go slowly and really get in there, uh, and, and dig deep into the muscle. So a more meaningful type of foam rolling rather than just like a, like a, Wham bam, thank you, ma'am, type of deal. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yep. Yep. Exactly. I had to say. I mean, you were talking about sticks and less painful and all, all kinds of going things. hard. Just had fast to. Yeah. And, just yep. Had to be said. <laughs> and then the other tip is, uh, or I guess it's not really a tip, but something that people don't always do is is using a, like a a ball. Okay. So we get <laughs> tips just and balls. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Using uh, <laughs> like a massage ball or a tennis ball or a lacrosse ball or something okay. like that to get in. And dig a little deeper. Okay. Good. <laughs> this is, yeah, out of uh, I like it. Okay. And I got my hands moving in all kinds of different ways. This is <laughs> this is terrible. 
Uh, thanks, thanks <laughs> so, Matt, for taking us. So what I what I used to do on on this note was tape two balls together. Oh yeah, uh, mm-hmm. so that you can you can work that around your spine, uh, and you would lay so on these. You two like tape you balls. like two balls better than one. Yes, two balls taped together. Yeah, no, and and you can actually get uh, massage balls that come in a little sack. <laughs> Yep. Out yep. of control. <laughs> Come in a little sack, and if you leave a, them in the sack, they're too called a bag. A little bag. A drawstring bag. A drawstring bag. Okay. Or a sack. Okay. All <laughs> right. Back. Anyway, a drawstring bag, and uh, and that'll keep the balls together, and that will allow you to Then you don't need to take tennis balls. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And, and I mean, that's come a long way. You, it used to be tennis balls or lacrosse balls. Now there are balls that are, I don't know, I guess they're, they have the right amount of... Uh, of hardness to them <laughs> yeah <laughs> made by uh what's that guy's name who wrote supple leopard you don't know him i don't know who you're talking about nope um i'm totally blanking all of a sudden on the on the name um mobility wad this is his name of his blog mm. kelly starrett or something anyway aaron my wife uses those um and they're they're just they're just better than tennis balls they're they're you can't squeeze them too hard they're more like pinky balls those things you would get in the drugstore and, and bounce you know mm-hmm. those things mm-hmm. uh and that they're kind of you know they have some give to them but they have the, a you can't push you can't compress them too much yeah anyway. uh, and the kind that i have i'm trying to look up the name uh is i'm not know <laughs> nice yeah oh therapy balls okay that's what they're therapy balls good okay so you can do better than a tennis ball is the point yep uh if that is your goal but a tennis ball probably will suffice for most people and yes, that's more like the trigger point type thing than the general foam rolling where you're you're trying to just hit big muscle. Like for your quads, obviously you're going to generally use a foam roller just to hit big muscle all at once. Uh, but if you've got little little hot spots or little point trigger points, you can you can hit those with tennis balls. However, you don't want to foam roll your IT band because ITBS iliotibial band syndrome is an inflammation issue, and if you're going to foam roll on it, you're just going to inflame it more. So if you've got that, certainly you can benefit from foam rolling around it. Lots of times that comes from muscular imbalances or different muscles not firing like up in the hips. So, I mean, there's certainly things you can do with foam rolling, but you don't want to be foam rolling directly on that IT band. Uh, at least I, I do not believe so. All right. So that's foam rolling. You know, like stretching, I, I think that yoga is a great recovery tool, so especially gentle yoga after, um, you know, if you, if you can weave it into your training, integrate it into your training. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great way to just stretch and get a little bit more flat flexibility and openness within your muscles and your hips and, and those tight areas that a lot of runners have to deal with and their glutes and hips and everything. So I think yoga is a great recovery tool and, and we're going to have a full post about this. Coming we are. Up. We have an we'll upcoming see. ultimate guide type post written by none other than Doug Hay and, and his wife. And his wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah, stretching is something that you can you can work into... I think of that as sort of serving a similar function as the foam rolling does. It just, it, to me, it occupies a similar space. So I tend to do it with the foam rolling. Um, they, you know, they say you typically don't want to stretch a cold muscle. So I guess this might be a violation of that rule when, when you're at the end of the day, you're stretching your, mm. your muscles. Um, but anyway, I, I've always just kept like a, like a, a band or a dog leash or something that you can use to get a good hamstring stretch. And uh, yeah, I mean, that flexibility is something that, I think most people, because most of us are very inflexible, can benefit from more flexibility. I've, I've heard of a study that showed somehow that people, the runners who were the most flexible and the runners who were the least flexible were the ones who got injured the most. People who had this moderate amount of flexibility were those who got injured the least. But I think for, for the vast majority of people, 
the issue isn't that they're too flexible. I think there are just a few people who have that problem. So most of us can benefit from some amount of stretching. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so I had, I, maybe this should have even been at the beginning of this episode, but <laughs> the next thing we have kind of on our list to talk about is, is knowing when you're injured and when you're just sore and, and being able to tell the difference and, and act accordingly. Yes. So what, we, what we've given so far is, is basically the what we've got as far as here are the tools you can use to help prevent injury from happening. Um, next is kind of like how do you just – our remaining two topics are how do, you, how do you deal with it as it does begin to happen or seems like it's starting to happen. Uh, so when is it injury and when is it just soreness? I mean I've, I've never really had an issue with this. <laughs> I mean I know – I guess people – I guess someone who's a new runner might, might have this issue. Um, I just feel like it feels like a muscle soreness when it's soreness, doesn't it? Well, <laughs> I mean, I guess, but you know, but sometimes you don't know if that's a pulled muscle or something like that. I mean, so my rule is generally if it inhibits your ability to to maintain a proper running form. So okay. if uh, if it reduces your range of motion, if it uh, is a sharp pain that that means you're having to favor one side over the other. Uh, something like that. If you're, you know, if you're unable to maintain that running form, then it's something that you need to, you need to stop running and and address. Yeah, typically, I think for me, if it's something more than general muscle soreness, then it won't feel like the general muscle is sore. It'll feel like a specific point or a specific part or something that's only sore when I do a very specific motion. To me, that's the sign that something is slightly more damaged than than a typical you know, muscle soreness, which doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't imply that you have to skip a workout because some, some part of your muscle just feels a little more sore than it usually does. Uh, but it's just something that you should be mindful of and you're keeping an eye on yeah. and kind of making sure that, um, that it doesn't, you know, cause you, you absolutely don't want to get in a long workout on something that is, that is injured. You're asking yeah. for things to get worse. Right. And I think that's, a, that's a real struggle for a lot of people, especially when they're in deep into a, a marathon training cycle or a half marathon or something like that, that they're putting all of their energy into it's hard to take that break and it's hard to feel like you're about to get behind on your training. But if you are injured, if you really are injured, if there is that pain that it's causing you to um, adjust your stride or, uh, you know, the really a sharp pain that, that you want to address, it's so much better to take a day or two or even up to a week off um, to address that pain and get rid of that injury before it becomes a, a full fledged injury than it is to try and run on it and then you know then it turns into something much bigger that you end up having to take a month off or or even end your race because of it yeah i think this kind of comes back to what we were talking about to introduce this episode when we when we asked about if injury is part of running and how you know as you run more you you get better at not being injured and i think this is a, a kind of subtle part of it is that someone who's brand new at running just doesn't know their body well enough to you know hasn't been through it before to see that a situation like this leads to injury if you keep running once you've done it for for I don't know a few years and gone through several training cycles and and you know you've you've gotten good at balancing sticking to the plan with taking the time off that you need to the unplanned time off because of an injury uh, I think you know you're you're a lot better shaped than you can make that decision much better uh, and I think I think I think as a trend or as, as you know, speaking generally I would imagine that the longer somebody has been running the more willing they are to take time off rather than follow that plan. And that just yeah. comes from a confidence of, you know, feeling like they they are in charge of what they're doing and they, they don't need to be strictly following what someone's saying to do because they they know their body and they know how, how they respond. Um, but this is something that's really important. I think when you're, a, especially when you're a beginner, but sometimes if you're just kind of like an OCD type who wants to get everything done perfectly, 
there's this tendency to to think that you are failing if you're not if you're not following that plan exactly to the letter. But the point that I try to make to people is that like when the author wrote that training plan, they they wrote down the ideal situation. This is what you should do if if you're not injured. But if you ask your training plan author, if you went to, if you were able to get to them and say, I'm kind of hurting here in week 14 and I have this run coming up, what am I supposed to do? A lot of times that author would say, the best thing you could do is not follow my plan right now. You need to take this certain amount of time off. So I think a lot of people feel like you're just supposed to follow the plan at all costs. And you just like, that's, that's what you do and you do what you can to get it done. Uh, but that's not, that's not, you know, it's an ideal plan. It's, it's what happens if nothing goes wrong, then you follow this. But it, when something goes, as soon as it does, then, then you've got kind of a different, a different map to follow. And you need to take different action, which usually means skipping a workout or two. And like you said, maybe, maybe a week or two. Yeah. And, and then the other thing to remember is when you come back to running after you've taken that time off is you don't necessarily have to make up those runs and you certainly shouldn't cram in a bunch of workouts back to back to back to back in order to just make sure that you get those in because it's, you know, it's better just to skip them and go back to what's actually on the schedule than it is to try to cram them all in together and then, you know, overexert yourself. Yeah, like so. If it were if it were beneficial to to after missing a week get five workouts in in a given week, then the author would have put five hard workouts in a row in one week. If that right. were a good thing, it's never a good thing. It's it's just going to do more damage than it than it does any any brings any benefits. Uh, so there, and it's, that also is kind of a mental thing. If you if you start missing, let's say you miss a long run halfway through your marathon training program, especially if it's like your first time, there's this tendency to feel like you have to make up that long run before you can do anything else. Uh, and I'm not saying you necessarily should jump to the next long run in the schedule, but perhaps what you need to do is kind of rework your schedule and, and replace the next long run with the one you missed and, and find some spot in there where you can make where, up that. Yeah. But, but the point isn't to actually get the extra run. No, like you don't necessarily right. want to get these. Cause if you do that, if you start having in your mind, this idea that, well, I need to, these three workouts, including this one long run that I missed, I need to somehow find a way to fit those in. That's going to make it really hard, and I think you could. I'm sure many people have been thrown off entirely and just given up at that point mm. because in their head it turns into this gargantuan task that they now need to do to get back on their plan, rather than just look at the calendar and see what day the plan says, what it says to do on this exact calendar date, and start there and just just get back into it. Yeah, exactly. And if, so, if you've taken say three three or four days off because of an injury, um, when you do come back. If the next day on your training plan is a hard workout or a long run or something like that, generally it's better to to skip that and ease back into it with some sort of easy run just to test your legs, make sure that you're feeling feeling good, and um, and then after that break just to kind of get your body moving again. Um, so ease back in with an easier run and then gradually kind of get back on track with your with your training. Yeah. So I I should clarify that we're not saying it's a bad idea to kind of juggle your training plan schedule around and, and make some changes because of that you were all right. If you take some days off, then typically you might be making some changes to ease back into that plan uh, or work your way back in. But what we're saying is typically these, this juggling around doesn't mean adding, adding workouts in that you missed. We're not right. in any way saying you need to make up for those workouts, uh, just that you might need to shuffle it around. And this is another thing that I tell people to do, especially if it's a first marathon is pick a plan and, and we're speaking specifically about marathons here, where there's necessarily going to be a taper period at the end, meaning a period where your long run specifically, but also your during the week mileage is reduced as you lead up to the marathon so that you, you arrive fresh at the start line. Um, but what I tell people is pick one that has two shorter long runs before the race day. So like you've, you've got a, typically you have a 20 miler in a, in a first plan or some kind of maximum length run. Um, I think that should be followed in a first marathon plan 
by two easy long runs. So like in mine, I'll do a 13-mile run, then a 10-mile run in, in consecutive weeks, and then the 26.2 as your your you know, final long run. Um, and and not that that's the race itself, of course. That's the marathon. Um, but I think, so there's kind of a debate whether you should just have one of these shorter long runs, like just do a 13-miler and then go do your marathon, or whether you should work in this, build in this extra week of tapering so it's like a 13-miler, then a 10-miler, then the marathon. And for a first plan, I'm such a big fan of having two of them precisely because you, it gives you flexibility in your plan so that if something goes wrong, which it very likely will in a first marathon training program, you have the ability to take an entire week off and just shift your entire schedule back by one week. So now you're doing just a, a taper period that only has one shorter long run rather than two of them. Yeah. Is that clear? I that mean, is clear. Okay. As long as people aren't using one that only has the one shorter long run and doing the long run right before the... Right. That, and that's why... That's why that taper it, period is important. Right. So if there's going to be a debate between whether it's better to have one short long run or two short long runs, I would say let's err on the side of two. That way we have this added flexibility yep. into our plan. Absolutely. Uh, so that, that's I'm a big fan of that. Similarly, a lot of, uh, a lot of first marathon plans will also do something where they kind of like you increase the long run mileage one week and then you decrease it the next. And yep. it's kind of this step approach mm-hmm. rather than a constant increase. You can also work with that a little bit. If you need to take a week off, I mean, you could you could adjust things so that you miss one week of, of reducing your long run mileage and, and you just do two increases in a row, which is a little bit risky for sure. But uh, if that's what enables you to take a week off, then I think I think it's a good thing. Yeah, right. That, that Those rest weeks, those low mileage weeks are a good opportunity to, to do some extra mileage or some extra um, workouts that, that you might have missed without, you know, without adding them back to back to back. Yeah. So, I mean, there aren't hard and fast rules here for how to do this. I think it's more an art than a science. And it also probably varies from one person to another what's going to work best, yeah. not just with their schedule, but, but with their particular body, how, how things are going to work. And how severe the injury was. I mean, if it was something that took you out for 10 days or if it was just a little tweak that, you know, after two days of rest, you're back at it. Yeah, of course. But, I mean, I, I guess it sounds like kind of a wimpy approach, but just erring on the side of caution is just something I've just learned as a runner. I mean, it goes from from the race day itself to where we talk about pacing I mean, err on the side of going too slow to the whole training process where if something seems like it's becoming a problem or even beginning to become a problem you're just so much better off addressing it then rather than pushing it three four weeks in and then suddenly getting the big injury that makes you miss a full month of training you're such a wimp man i know i guess that's why i'm not the olympic that's, gold medalist. that's why we always run your underwrapped flagpole <laughs> at summer running camp <laughs> and yep. not mine no no i think that that's great that's really good important advice yeah, it's just some, and it's something I did not at all want to listen to as a beginner, and I don't think anyone does because you you don't have that humility that comes with actually being injured and having to miss three months because you know you just can't. Yeah. All right. Uh, well then, I think this concludes session three of summer running camp with Sponge and Budnick <laughs> and Donkey Lips. It's been such a pleasure, Matt. <laughs> yes, you too, Doug, and. Uh, I guess that's it. We've got, don't forget the Run Your BQ webinar I'm doing with Jason Fitzgerald is at nomeanathlete.com slash run. If you go there, you can sign up for the webinar, which is free and is on August 31st in the evening. So do that before then so you so you get your spot held. And otherwise, Doug, any any parting words uh, before we part? I hope we never part, right? Isn't that part of the, part of the song? Get it right or pay the price, Matt. <laughs> nice. Uh, no, that's it. That's all I got. Okay. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back soon.